0: Okay. Uh, Zivon did not like it. <laughs> no, just let just shoot from the hip. Okay. Okay. Hello and welcome back to Famous Last Words, a filmmaking podcast, a making of films podcast, a film appreciation podcast, an All appreciation of, of films podcast. Yes uh i am andrew and who are you i am Teresa, and we are not blood related but married if you go back far enough we're probably all blood related
1: i don't know i came from italy (laughs) not me my ancestors your
0: your your ancestral homeland
1: is (laughs) way over there way
0: over there uh and we were just kicking around uh, england for a long time and also germany um so in case you were worried about our podcast becoming a, I think it should be noted what you're doing right now is you're throwing dog treats <laughs> around the room so that the dog doesn't get bored and barks at the uh, the sounds in the backyard. Yep, yep. So you throw every now and then you'll throw a treat around the room and he'll go <laughs> sniffing for it.
1: Yeah, if he starts paying attention to the back door a little bit too much, I throw a treat and distracts <laughs> him for a good five minutes.
0: This is a, this is a free dog, uh, dog. <laughs> But training trip. Tips. Yes. Um, if you're worried about this podcast becoming a Pedro Almodóvar, um, Almodóvar's fan podcast, then uh, this is just another reason to not like us. <laughs> However, I think it's a reason to like us because we like him. Um, and we are talking about his 2019 movie, uh, Pain and Glory. Did you like this one? I did. Okay. Well, you know, so did I. No has sido un buen hijo, hijo mío. No? No.
1: ¿Qué haces aquí? Tengo que hablar contigo. 32 años me ha costado reconciliarme con esta película. Si no escribes ni ruedas, ¿qué vas a hacer? Vivir, supongo. Ten cuidado conmigo, eh. Yes, so
0: 2019, um... Pain and Glory came out, which is a movie that is about um, a filmmaker played by Antonio Banderas. Might be a stand-in for Mr. Almodovar himself, um, who is a successful filmmaker, and it's kind of a eight and a half or Stardust Memories type of podcast of a filmmaker who's being appreciated for his oeuvre well, concerning himself with his history and how he got to where he got to um yeah and it features uh some memories some imagined memories some imagined sequences um we think we don't know we don't know it's all it's all up in the air and that is why pedro almodovar is the tits (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) fair fair sorry you got me with that that was good um, yes this is why we love him
0: yes um from the literally the opening titles you know you're in for like a, a, a exquisitely made tapestry and this movie does not disappoint um
1: it is a visual treat
0: a visual treat indeed um uh, you know in our episode about Columbus we talked about tripods um a lot Mm -hmm. uh maybe that was more about tripods than the movie itself but this is why you love us for our idiosyncratic tours of other things this movie pedro almodovar uses tracking shots and dollies so well in his movies and in particular i mean we'll start the begin start at the end first he does a tracking up so there's a scene early on in the movie where penelope cruz is with her son um who's the director and he is a child and they're eating chocolate and bread for dinner because they're stuck in this train station and it's this beautifully hand tiled meticulously hand tiled i actually read that he like does the tiles himself like he like says this is exactly what they want and they like do them like with paintbrush like old Mm. um and at the end of this movie the scene comes back because the whole movie has been about his filmmaking process will he make another movie he has all these like uh, health issues that keep on getting in the way, and then they take the same shot from earlier in this dolly backwards to reveal it's the film set mm-hmm. of his movie, and it like is so meta and so interesting and kind of funny at times. I don't know. I I I'm going to cease my my gushing after I tell you his name, Salvador Mayo, Antonio Banderas's character.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No. That the whole reveal, the twist, maybe that that scene is in the train station is the film that he is making about his life. And so it makes you assume though still open for interpretation that everything that you see in the film that is about the flashback of his youth is actually the film that he is making about his childhood.
0: Yeah. And you don't really realize that until Mm -hmm. the end where you're like, it kind of makes you think about the whole movie. Um, The, there's all, you know, Pedro Almodovar is a openly openly gay man, and there are. This movie is so good about his like using his sexuality to also talk about his life, and it. You kind of expect a movie about like a devout Catholic family, like a poor mm-hmm. devout Catholic family with a gay son, to reach the climax pretty early on. About the conflict of the movie is that he's gay and his you know his relationship with his mother. It uses such self-restraint mm-hmm. that that doesn't come out till the very end of the movie where the mother is now not played by Penelope Cruz and she's older and he's li- she's living with her successful son mm-hmm. and it comes out as like this big thing and you kind of like wonder why what caught like he has his health issues but like why is he so melancholy and it's because his mother died right before the movie started you know re- like a year or two before that and that she basically like was just like I'm not proud of you because you're gay. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't come out to like hour spoiler, an hour and a <laughs> half like an hour and a half into the movie. And it's so powerful because they've kind of portrayed Penelope Cruz as this some this extremely loving, mm-hmm. wonderful woman yeah. throughout.
1: And they do a lot of like building of relationships. Like his relationship with his mother seems very amicable and you know, when he's a kid she's like his everything and um you know, his relationships with men throughout the years, like, they do a really good job taking you through all of that. Like, a lot of it is in reference to his past. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to understand, yeah, like, what is his pain? Um, his emotional pain, not just his physical pain that we're we're going through with him. Um, But, yeah, I mean, isn't... It's also towards the end where everything's kind of okay in his childhood with his mother until the scene where the person helping them fix up their house and paint
0: and he's teaching them how to read we teach him
1: how to read he there's something where the mother discovers she gets mad because she's basically discovering that there was some
0: an inappropriate
1: inappropriateness with
0: yeah the, so like yeah the the a guy in the town who doesn't know how to read and write the young version of of Antonio Banderas' character is teaching him how to write throughout the movie. and It's kind of innocent, mm-hmm. more or less. Um, and then he's like washing tile and he's all dirty and needs to wash himself up. Mm-hmm. Wash himself off of all this tile guts this, this slightly older man, this, like a teenager or a 20-something. Mm-hmm. And he takes his shirt He takes all his clothes off. Yeah. And young Antonio Banderas' character walks in and sees him naked and kind of has this like,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you know he, he faints he literally yeah. faints and then, but at the same time that the the tile worker had drawn him on a paperback essentially
1: mm-hmm. and, and then the mother kind of like freaks out having witnessed this, the aftermath of this and yeah so it's that's also really late in the story too and so it just it holds on to all of the things it does a really good job building building it up and then you get that payoff or the conflict at the end with his mother dying and you realize that is part of the reason why he's so upset that his mother died, too. Because she basically said, I'm not proud of you because of who you are. Right. And it's good.
0: Yeah. There's there's a couple of things I, I wanted to bring about this movie. There's a sequence, too. So he is a longtime friend, a longtime collaborator, from a, a long time ago collaborator, an actor who was in one of his first movies, who he has like a grudge with because he didn't portray the actor, the character the way he wanted I'm guessing he was super difficult on set Is the subtext there Because uh, he was
1: like stoned all the time And he's yeah. a heroin addict mm-hmm. And he's like
0: a super high functioning heroin addict mm-hmm. And they're like going to come together for, to present the film 30 plus years after uh, it came out um, And so the two of them are just uh, Like a friendship is born And then he discovers a file on his computer The, the actor discovers a file On Antonio Banderas's computer And then puts on like a one man show Play of that show and in that, by happenstance, comes an ex-lover of Antonio Banderas's character. And there's a sequence where he reaches out, he gets the number this this person who we don't haven't seen before halfway through the movie, and like he gets his number and he calls Antonio Banderas and they're talking on the phone and they're like making plans to have dinner and they're talking and they're, the whole expectation there's like this expectation on the scene that they're going to see each other the next day. And that he will let you have this reset of the scene, because Antonio Banderas is about to take heroin, and he's kind of at the height of his heroin addiction because he has such bad pain. And he goes to his window and opens up his window, and the guy is out on the street outside of his apartment on the phone, and just has this like it's just an amazing moment of cinema that's like nearly wordless. Mm-hmm. Like only movies can do this, where they're talking about one thing, but you see an entirely other thing. And it was just like, I like literally gasped when I like, he opens the window (laughs) and I saw it. I was just like, wow, like he, something, there's something in the DNA of that that just looked amazing.
1: Yeah. Yep. So many good things to say. I mean, and then there's just the cinematography too. Like you touched on a little bit with the dolly shots and, but there's just so many like, you know, his use of bright colors and set design and framing Uh, the one man show. He's like standing in front of us a white screen right mm-hmm. and then I mean, there's like red but like a wet red backdrop yeah it's just every time i see something that beautiful i'm just like ah oh, i hate him cuz it's so good cuz i wish i would thought of it or did it yeah <laughs> it's so good
0: yeah and you believe it cuz like slightly high we talked about this in our time me up time me down thing mm-hmm. is like i am completely ready to go with him and like every movie i see of his, i understand why he's so revered. I also understand why people like David Lynch because in some ways, in my opinion, he does a very similar thing like we talked about in mm-hmm. our Time Me Up, Time Me Down episode, but it'll always that I respond to more.
1: Yeah. I really...
0: Sorry, go ahead. Oh,
1: I was just going to say, I, there's the same tone and voice in all of his films that are really consistent, and that's what makes him a great director. But I do feel like some of the later ones we've seen just show his like filmmaking maturity and like they're just even better on top of that kind of quirky statement, very bold statement, but then also like following through with, you know, really great character development and storylines and just these really emotional moments that you've talked about a little bit already. Mm -hmm. Like that's just so much deeper, I think, in his later films as he works a ton and lives a life and is older and has experienced more things. Yeah, I really like it.
0: It's really interesting that I read an article and basically he owns, he has final cut, final say on everything he does. And like that's by design that he and his brother, August and his younger brother are the production company mm-hmm. and they take care of everything on their own and they make their movies for the same budget every time and they own them outright so they can control the distribution. They can, they can, they control the posters. They control every single aspect oh. of the movie top to bottom.
1: Yeah, and it shows. I mean, it's, it, shows. it shows, like, you know, this is simple, but practice makes perfect. And if you have, like, the control and you keep, you know... Improving. Improving and you keep restraints, like, having a similar budget and not going crazy, it will just show, like, each film gets better and better.
0: Right. Um, something I wanted to touch on, and maybe this is for a longer podcast in the future, but you've seen Eight and a Half, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would say these movies are similar, but... There, but you can Fellini and Pedro Almodovar have a lot of very similar moments in their, in their movies, you know. What I mean, there's like the theater of the bizarre and absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you feel these two movies compare? Because I felt like you know, Stardust Memories is a whole other thing. I don't think you've seen Stardust Memories, it's Woody Allen's Eight and a Half, mm. it's a much different movie, but Eight and a Half and Pain and Glory feel very similar to me.
1: Yeah, they do. I think I think it's easier for me to feel connected to Pain and Glory than Eight and a Half, you know, just because it is a timeline, it's a t- point in time closer to my own life, though he is much older than us. You know, it's about, you know, more diverse stories, I think, mm-hmm. than, you know, Eight and a Half... And I think it's not quite as surreal. Like it's reined in; it still has some of its style and quirk and things you have to interpretate and meta ness. But it's much more like straightforward and understandable than eight and a half.
0: Yeah, eight and a half is a little unintelligible at times.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's a lot of weird. Fleeny had a weird thing with women. Like it's pretty well documented <laughs> at this point, and like we forgive it because there's like. La Dolce Vita has some amazing moments. Juliet and mm-hmm. the Spirit has amazing, some amazing moments. Um and the Spirit is, I, I'd say, a, a more favorable approach to women. Like, the men in Juliet and the Spirits are all shitheads, mm-hmm. more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like eight and a half. there's some weird women shit in there. And some weird, like, pathos with with within uh, a Marco mastriami's, Marcello mastriami's character that are... I don't know, but, there's, yeah. but it's really interesting because Pain and Glory, I think this is why Woody Allen's Stardust Memories isn't the same. It's not as good as a movie, for one. Um, but Fellini and Marcello, 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 Mastriami, Marcello. Mastriami <laughs> are, like, they are two peas in the pod. He is his muse. Mm-hmm. He is Fellini's muse. muse. He, he started a number of his movies. Like, a lot of, all the famous ones, La Dolce Vita, Eight and a Half. You know he's bit roles in, in other ones, and um, and Antonio Banderas is the main leading actor of Pedro Almodovar's movies, and so both these movies, and I think you're right that we we have shared experience that looks similar. The sound is sync in Pain and Glory. It's, <laughs> it's hard to get over the sound not being in sync, and it's like an aesthetic of those 1960 Fellini's movies.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but anyway, but these two actors and their respective directors like the pairs the two pairs mm-hmm. the work takes on a meta-ness that's so interesting because it's like you and i have done this work together as actor and director throughout our careers and like here is a, a somewhat of a capstone of a period of our lives of working together where it's like we are also commenting on what we've done together mm, yeah I mean? that
1: is interesting Yeah.
0: And I feel like Antonio Banderas got all the awards nominations for this because it felt like an appreciation of his career too, not just Pedro mm-hmm. Almodovar's.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, you know, he did do a great job, but there's like that emotional connection that you brought up.
0: Right. Um, we have a mailbag.
1: Oh, we do? Yes. Wow. How do we consistently have uh, com- comments for our mailbag?
0: They get emailed to me. If you'd like to ask us a question, you too can email us on our website, obscurebroadcastingcompany.com. There's an email form. You put podcast question in the subject line and you too might get your question read on the air. Do it. I dare you.
1: Because then we might have real people instead of fake people. These are not fake people. (laughs) Go ahead. Real person. These are not fake people. Comment from real person.
0: Okay. This person's name is Senor Starchy Carbs. (laughs) You both seem to have a passion for specific directors. Who are your go-to top three or five, and a quick why for each?
1: Okay, these are those questions I need, like, a lot more time to think about. Well, well I, think, I, think, I think what
0: Senior Starchy Carbs is getting at is, like, a shoot from the hip. Pew, pew.
1: Pew, pew. As, as our intro. As <laughs> our intro.
0: Sometimes never heard.
1: <laughs> one time. One time.
0: That is sometimes.
1: <laughs> you um, go first.
0: Okay, so... Uh, the Lee brothers are the first ones that come to mind for me, Spike Lee and Mike Lee. Um,
1: <laughs> I was very confused by that statement. <laughs> That's good.
0: Uh, different no, spellings. Different spellings, much different, different age. Everything. Different every everything, but uh, Spike Lee is. There are a few movies that have affected me, like Do the Right Thing, and Mo Better Blues, and Malcolm X, and Black Klansman. So Spike Lee is someone I think makes the greatest movies. I also like him and his, his thing with his company. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee is, is one of the most amazing American directors out there. Mike Lee, someone who taught me so much about filmmaking just from his existence um, that, that has floored me. His movies, Secrets and Lies, is, is also a movie that is super important to me. Um, life is Sweet. Um, naked. Naked. So, oh, yeah. Spike, you
1: introduced me to Mike Lee. Yeah, I know Sheen Stack introduced mm-hmm. me to
0: Mike Lee. And I watched Secrets and Light on a janky-ass stream <laughs> uh, during COVID. Um, Martin Scorsese is probably another one that I'd put on the list. But interestingly enough, when I got the mailbag question, I jotted down some names. Martin Scorsese wasn't a name I wrote down, but he's definitely an influence on us. But, not, but more his mission than we don't want to make the kinds of movies he made like we're Mm -hmm. not trying to imitate his style whereas mike lee and spike lee i think there's parts of their style that i Mm -hmm. like to rip off
1: Yeah. yeah um
0: those are three the only other two names i wrote down are or i wrote down three other names um jim jarmusch again his his movies are amazing down by law night on earth um are masterpieces his sense of timing and rhythm and unique voice is something that i think we all aspire to Mm -hmm. Um, and then I wrote down Terrence Malick in a question mark because early on his movies completely to the wonder, a lesser movie of his, but to the wonder tree of life, days of heaven, Mm -hmm. thin red line, like those movies completely blew me away when I saw them. I was like, oh, movies can be like this.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's accurate. I think we overlap in a lot of these names, but people to add, I I thought of Martin Scorsese. Um. I do like look like, again. Like we don't really set out to make his types of films, but I I just think they're excellent filmmaking, and there's just so much to learn from each one. Um, what else? Oh, I'm a Baz, Lorman. I think that's how you say his name. Yeah. Fangirl. I'm a fan girl. Doesn't know how to say his name. Um, <laughs> I love his movies. I just think they're so spectacularly over the top. They have such a vibe. Again, talk about a director with a voice and a tone. You see his film and you know it's his immediately. They're just fun and they're always very musical and I rewatch all of his films all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another one. Again, not really movies that we would make, though there's some small like, nuggets of inspiration, but I don't think we would ever make something that big, budget, and flashy even if we had the resources.
0: We'd, <laughs> Who go, knows? In a we'd go in a different direction, probably. Yeah. It Balzheimer and Imitation are not good. Like when you no. see the imitation kind of spectacles. Anyway, go on, sorry. Yeah,
1: guys, he but... uh he knows what he's doing and it's not for everyone, for sure. Like you either love him or hate him. Um oh, I forgot my last one now.
0: Paul Lerman, Martin Scorsese. Spit out any information you have, I can help you. Oh, I lost it. What movie did I make? What movie did they make?
1: Oh, uh I remember now. Another person I don't know how to pronounce their name properly, Darren Afronsky, Aronofsky, or Aronofsky. Yeah. Are you Black- sure? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Black Swan. We haven't seen his new movie, The Well, but have heard only good things. But also, challenging, like
0: challenging movie. I
1: was gonna say also a very hard movie to watch. All of his movies are really hard to watch. Like they're just so emotionally impactful and like great the wrestler that's another one that's really good hard to watch black swan black swan so that one first mother was good though we have a hard time we own that one but i have a hard time repeat watching that one that
0: one's a hard one that's a hard one to watch Mm -hmm. um requiem for a dream
1: oh my god the talk about the first movie to really traumatize me that one yeah i saw it when i was like Fourteen.
0: Yeah, I think that would be that would be an interesting. I mean, difficult but interesting rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to sit in the room watching that with someone who's never seen it before. Yeah, if such a person exists.
1: I mean, I actually don't know how has it lost some of its impact because you know there's a lot more films with a lot of their sub- that subject matter. I mean, there's drug abuse, eating disorders. Prostitution, the list goes on. Depression.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this movie started a lot of that. The part I find most traumatizing about that movie is Ellen Burstyn's character as the mother. Um,
1: See, I feel addicted to TV. Yeah, and the eating disorder.
0: And the an eating disorder, right? Because mm-hmm. she's gonna, she's trying to be on that game show or whatever. Yeah. And uh, there's a shot in there where she's like cleaning the apartment in like a frantic blurry motion thing because she's the, taking diet pills she's taking diet pills and the in the um uh, the behind the scenes of how they did that's really interesting they had to lay a track and there's a stage that, like so she did she like cleaned the apartment for like hours the set she like kept on cleaning things and doing it like, oh. in real time and the time lapse is like the camera's moving really slowly and like it's a dslr essentially taking mm. like a long time lapse wow. photography moving on a track and at one stage, there's like a gap or something. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. No, I think for me, it's um, Jennifer Jennifer Connolly Connolly's storyline. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, not to end on a sad note. Yeah. I mean, but <laughs> honestly,
0: of the filmmakers I appreciate, Pedro Almodovar's movies are are moving quickly into some of my favorite I've yes. ever seen.
1: We are working through his catalog right now, and it's because we quickly appreciate his films and his style and. Um, enjoying going through his history.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I think Pan and Glory*. If you're, n- if you're new to his movies, might be a good one to start at.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty accessible while good. keeping a lot of the things that makes him great.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, thanks so much for uh, doing this, Teresa.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Uh, thank you, Zilong, for being a good boy.
1: Yeah, thanks for not barking and just sleeping in your floof bed.
0: Uh, so, if you like us, like us on social medias and other publicly accessible places and subscribe to the podcast, please.
1: Please, and send in mailbags on our website, obscurebroadcastingcompany.com